Welcome in to another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and your host each and every week as we take you through the big stories and big happenings in high school sports. No high school sports right now, though, obviously. Hasn't been any since March 13th, I think, was uh, the Thursday of uh, State Girls Basketball Week and Boys Sectional Semifinals. So we're going on three months of no sports, no live sports to talk about at the high school level. A lot of questions about what's going to happen coming up, though, for the July contact days, for fall sports in August. Um, you know, we, we thought that we would have some answers by now. I thought maybe that June 1st time period last week, excuse me, would, uh, would be a time we'd get some information from the state of Wisconsin, DHS, the, the governor's office, the WIAA, uh, didn't turn out to be, although there was a little bit of a false alarm, a radio station in the Green Bay area, um, latched on to and, and completely misinterpreted some comments by Wade Lebecki from the WIAA. Uh, and and put out a story that high school sports were back on for sure in the fall. And unfortunately, that story got shared an awful lot, uh, tens of thousands of times. I had people sending it to me, texting it to me. I saw it posted by people on social media, you know, people that aren't necessarily even hardcore sports fans. Um, it, it was uh, unfortunate that that got out there uh, without a real accuracy to it, to be quite honest with you. Um, and the WIA did put out a statement um, a few days later that it was not accurate. They, they did contact the schools over the weekend and say so. And, and I had said the same on Friday when I first saw it. Um, long story short, we don't know yet. Uh, the WIA is working with the Department of Public Instruction, with uh, the, the Department of Health Services, and the governor's office to put together what things will look like in July, still waiting to, to get those. Ultimately, it is going to be a decision from the state, though. The, the WIA has a seat at the table. They're, they're having their voice heard and represented. Um, but ultimately, they will not be the ones that will make that decision. It will come from the state. A chance that we get some of that information, at least for July, um, at the end of this week, hopefully, because if it's going to happen, people have to start making those plans and um, you know, putting putting plans in place for contact uh, opportunities in July. Um, even if we don't have the full on go ahead for fall sports yet, you know, we, we've got to get there for that July contact period. So a chance it comes out at the end of this week, um, but obviously it's it's got to get out here very soon so that we can begin to move forward if that is going to be allowed. Um, Still optimistic, still hopeful, uh, still get asked all the time what I think is going to happen, and I still am uh, optimistic for uh, fall sports happening in August, including high school football. Uh, speaking of high school football, you'll, you have noticed last week uh, a good amount of the content that we had done in, in the football realm was around rivalries. That was really fun uh, to take a look at. Um, we've tracked some of the most played football rivalries for a number of years, um, and have a list on WSN, uh, done our best to get that as, as updated as we can. We, we know that there's some rivalries that have been played an awful lot that aren't on there. We just have not been able to find verifiable numbers. You know, Edgerton versus Stoughton, Janesville versus Beloit, uh, Dodgeville versus Mineral Point um, are some that I know 
should be on that list. But again, we don't know. We can't verify the number of times that they've played, what the results of the series are. Um, you know, so we, we can't include them on there yet. But we did take a look at when the rivalry games for this fall will occur. Give some basic stats on those. We also took to a, a look at uh, some of the rivalries that are going away as a result of the statewide football realignment. Um, some really good ones on that uh, on that list that uh, you know are unfortunate, but um, you know are are part of the uh, the realignment. And then we also looked at some of the new matchups that we're getting this fall as a result of the realignment. Uh, some games that are new conference games now, uh, and also some situations where conferences that had played a closed schedule for so long now have the opportunity to play those non-conference games and some big ones that you know we we knew we were going to get that we were really looking forward to involve big eight schools who had not played non-conference games other than the playoffs for so so many years we get some big ones right out of the gate hudson and sun prairie you've got middleton playing bayport and then a week later middleton playing wanakee that's uh, the kind of matchup that we've wanted for so long in the Madison area, Wanakee versus some of the Big Eight schools. Uh, Monona Grove and Madison La Follette. We get Arrowhead and Homestead back on the schedule this year. That's a non-conference game that uh, that opens up. So there's a few on there like that that uh, we're really looking forward to to uh, to see how they go this year. Uh, some games that we again did not get or could not get previously. So hopefully you can check out some of that uh, football rivalry content. And uh, we will be continuing here uh, very soon with the, uh, the finalization of our spring football rankings. We've got uh, eight-player football through Division Four, and then we'll have D3, D2, and D1 out here soon as well to check out the uh, spring football rankings. Uh, but today's show on the WSN podcast, the rest of the way, we're going to focus quite a bit on basketball. Uh, Mark Miller has done a great job the last month and a half, it, it's been now, putting together some uh, all-time teams from some of the bigger cities in the state of Wisconsin. It's been a fascinating kind of journey through uh, history in in the the history of high school basketball in different areas of the state. Uh, So we'll talk to Mark about, you know, what, where that uh, came about, how that came about, what that process has been like, and uh, some of the other uh, cities that are on the schedule to be profiled here in the next few weeks. And as promised, we uh, welcome in our, our guest for today, our very own Mark Miller, boys basketball writer at Wisports.net. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. So one of the, uh, I guess, the few bright spots about all of the, uh, the, the quarantine and sports shutdown and, and whatever else is it's allowed us to take an opportunity to get to some content, get to to some things that we perhaps might not otherwise be able to. And you have used uh, a good part of that time in the last month and a half, roughly, to dig into some of the uh, cities around the state of Wisconsin and put together some all-time teams from some of the bigger cities in the state. And uh, you've been working your way through some of those and have uh, have got up, uh, what, six, eight uh, of those so far. And that's what we want to talk about today. And and let's start out with just kind of what the genesis was for that idea. You know what um, what what came of it. What what kind of influenced you to to take a look back and try to dive into that uh, pretty significant project. Yeah, it's been really significant, actually. The amount of research it takes to to do these and do them, you know, uh, 
doing well uh, is is substantial. Um, actually, the the genesis for it came when when you and I and, and Norbert and Colton were were talking about content that we could come up with uh, during COVID nineteen to to get people to continue to come back to Wisports.net. Um, and uh, you know, I was thinking about uh, stories that would kind of go across the board. You know, that would be of interest to a lot of different people. Um, and I've always had a deep uh, appreciation and interest in um, basketball, high school basketball history in the state of Wisconsin. So, um, you know, we were brainstorming ideas, and and uh, and that's what how it uh, came about. And uh, once I kind of delved into it, you know, I started with Appleton because that's where I'm from, and I kind of had a, a fairly decent idea on, on most of the guys. Uh, but once I got going into it in cities like Eau Claire and Wausau and, and Madison and Janesville and so forth, um, you know, a lot of things that I, I didn't realize popped to the surface, um, and, and that's been very educational and also uh, very interesting. Uh, most people would probably think it's a little bit of a, a geeky thing to do, Travis, but, um, you know, I really enjoy it and, and trying to to put, you know, all the guys uh, that are deserving uh, in, in some sort of order um, – you know, as a challenge on one hand, how do you compare guys from, you know, the 1950s and 60s and even the 70s to guys from today? But on the other hand, um, you know, I, I thought, you know, when we pick uh, our, our top 50 high school players every year, we, we do it pretty much strictly on on, on, on their high school accomplishments. Um, but with the all-time teams, we can also take a look at what they did in college. So if you mesh those two things together, their high school achievements and their college achievements, that's kind of how I came about the teams. Um, and like I say in each story, that the baseline for starting is uh, that, that a player ne needed to make first, second, third, or fourth team all state uh, on the AP teams, Associated Press. And, and uh, that goes back to 1957. Uh, so um, I was fortunate to have every all state team and I divided them up by cities and, and uh, you know, that's how I got those lists. So that's kind of the starting point. And then once you get all those names and you, you kind of look at, okay, who was first team, second team, third team, uh, this guy certainly des deserves first team, et cetera. Uh, then you have to go and research, you know, their high school statistics and uh, the things that they accomplished both in high school and after high school. One of the things that I found in doing some projects similar to this, whether it's historical or statistical or, or whatever is, you can go down the rabbit hole a little bit sometimes and get lost in, in everything that you're researching and in all of the research. Did, did you run into, into any of that at all that, you know, you kind of get consumed with all of the information that that's possible out there? Yeah, you do. You run into it. And, uh, I subscribe to a site called newspapers.com. Um, and, um, it allows you to go back and, and look at newspapers, uh, from, from throughout the, throughout the years to, to garner information. Unfortunately, there are papers that they don't have. There are years that they're missing. And then depending on the newspaper, some were great about compiling stats and, and, and writing about kids. Uh, most of them were, were really, really good, honestly. Uh, high school sports, you know, even back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, was just uh, covered exceptionally well throughout our state by the newspapers. Uh, not so much anymore, unfortunately, with, with the different deadlines and so forth. Uh, and, and, you know, most papers, as, as we are painfully aware, are, are not even running box scores anymore. Um, some, some do, but very, very many do not. Um, so, you know, if you're trying to get a point total for a, for a particular player in a given season or in his career, 
sometimes that is a rabbit hole. Uh, you know, a game is missing here or there, and you're like, oh, boy, how am I ever going to get this, and is it even possible? Um, but, you know, thankfully, most of the stuff has, has come to the surface. I'm sure there's a name or two maybe that we're missing off the all-time scoring lists for each city. Um, and by all means, if people know of any that we're missing, let us know and we'll add them. But um, by and large, I, I think it's, it's worked out pretty well. Um, I've kind of held off on Milwaukee because, uh, A, the uh, the Journal and Sentinel are not part of newspapers.com, and B, there are just so many players. Uh, Madison was a huge challenge for me. I, I did get through that one, but uh, that's about half of what Milwaukee is going to present. So um, I'm trying to come up with some sort of readable um, version of that that makes sense so you know we we come up with the teams that make sense and you know i probably won't have an all-time scoring list for milwaukee because it's just too cumbersome and and too difficult to come up with um but you know as you're probably aware and not surprised by uh, many of the kids that are on the top of the list uh in in terms of all city scoring are guys that have graduated uh you know maybe over the last 15 to 20 25 years with the advent of more games, longer games, um, you know, when we went to halves a few years back, um, more games now, you know, next year we're going to 24, we were, we were at 22, used to be at 20, and, and for a long time we were at 18 regular season games. And then, of course, uh, the three-point line is the other big change. So um, it's it's not always, you know, perfectly fair to, to rank a guy like Vince Sweeney from Edgewood, who graduated in 63, uh, and scored many of his points from deep and played for the Badgers to, uh, you know, to a kid today that has the benefit of playing more games, having the three-point line. Uh, it's much more common for kids to be called up to the varsity at a younger age now than it used to be. Um, so, you know, you have those things that, that factor in. Um, it, you know, some of, the, some of the better players in the history of the state only played two years of varsity basketball. <laughs> like Nick Van Exel, when I did the All-Kenosha team, I, I was amazed to find out he, he didn't play varsity basketball as a sophomore. Um, so, you know, those kind of things you have to factor in um, when, when, when selecting these teams as well. And getting feedback from, from uh, guys like Dave Wiederwerd at Janesville and Tom Oates at the State Journal and, and um, you know, other guys, coaches that have been around a long time and media guys has been helpful as well. We're talking with Mark Miller, our boys basketball writer at WSN, and it's been pretty well received. It seems like um, you know some some good uh, viewership on on the uh, the all time teams. Also, a good amount of conversation that's been generated in the comment sections online on social media, and it, it seems like some other um, media outlets have picked up. And, and I believe you've been on with some guests, or or the uh, the stories have been reported on by other newspapers, radio stations, TV stations, etc. Right, right. The, uh, when I did the Oshkosh team, WOSH uh, gave me a call, a radio station there, and uh, uh, did an interview with Bob uh, Burnell, and then uh, Janesville was kind enough to do a story on it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's one of those things, I think, Travis, that when you, when you think of a guy like Rick Olson, you know, just looking at that Madison team, a smile has to come to your face. Uh, and now, this might be before your time, but watching him in the 1982 state tournament and how he played and how he led LaFollette to the state championship – that's just a great memory. You know, it's just, it's just one of those things that, you know, wow, you, you, you were glad to be a part of, you know, or at least watch, um, you know, and even, you know, guys like Vander Blue and Jerron Maiman and Reese Gaines, Wesley Matthews from Madison, um, you know, all those guys, uh, you know, they, they really played hard and really played the game. And, and 
more than anything, it just stirs up memories, I think. And, and um, you know, the state tournament uh, for basketball and, and for all the sports, but, you know, for basketball in particular, a lot of people go to that every year. You know, it's kind of the end of winter and it's a celebration of the high school season and it's a time to get away a little bit and enjoy Madison and the and the uh, the atmosphere of the state tournament. So, uh, you know, when you, when you bring up guys like that, um, you know, a lot of people have fond memories of them. Um, and, uh, you know, they entertained us in, in, in kind of a, uh, in, in a way. So, um, I think that's part of it, the, the lure of, of, uh, you know, the romantic side of it, so to speak, you know, of, of thinking of guys like Ricky Olson when he played at the Follett, just, uh, just really cool stuff. And, you know, for, for the guys that are, that were around watching the state tournaments in the 1970s, you know, same thing, you know, sixties and fifties. Now those guys, uh, you know, uh, have a great appreciation for the history of the state. You know, I mean, um, like I mentioned, uh, Sweeney at, at Edgewood, uh, Joe Franklin at, at Madison Central was a guy that that had a great high school career and then had an even better career at, at Wisconsin. Uh, he graduated in 62 when uh, that school was still open, you know, so um, people remember those guys even today. Um, now you get beyond that and it, it's getting a little more risky. You know, Pat Richter graduated in 59. Um, and you know, people, uh, certainly remember him, uh, for all of his accomplishments after his playing days, but there are people that remember him excelling in baseball, basketball, and football at East, uh, and then also even at the university of Wisconsin. Um, you know, he's probably the best all around athlete to come or ever come out of the, out of Madison played with the Redskins for several years in the NFL. And then of course ran Oscar Meyer. And then, uh, you know, obviously did a great job as the athletic director at Wisconsin. So, um, finding guys like that and even guys, you know, way back in the forties when, uh, uh, it's amazing to see how, how newspapers covered teams back then. And, um, you know, the point totals weren't nearly as high, but you know, the excitement and, and the, um, it seemed like, uh, you know, when you, when you read stories about games from that era, that, that the whole town was at the game. Um, so it was kind of the thing to do, you know, and I, and I don't know if it's always the case today. Um, certainly when big games are being played, that's the case. But, uh, you know, when you, when you look up small cities or smaller cities and towns and, uh, look at those accounts of games in the forties and fifties, it's, I don't know, I find it kind of interesting and, and fascinating to see, uh, you know, how the games were played, what the scores were like, who were the stars, who were the coaches, you know, how the newspapers reported them and so forth. I certainly have heard talk of Rick Olson from La Follette, but he graduated in 82 and I was born in 1980. So uh, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that dates that, uh, that conversation a little bit, uh, yeah. but it certainly has been fun to, to, to watch some of those names you mentioned, you know, names that, that you have covered for many years, but you know, some of the more recent ones, certainly ones that I have covered and, you know, Jerron Maiman, Vander Blue, et cetera. I, I played against Reese Gaines at West and some summer stuff. So it, it's been fun to, uh, to watch some of those things, and and I as as a history major in college, uh, certainly enjoy the history of high school sports as well. Um, any favorite tidbit or story or or thing that you have found uh, going through all of these old records, all of these old newspapers that you didn't know or or that kind of sticks out uh, from this research so far? Well, um, yeah, I think every team that I've done, I think I've done seven so far that has had a, a unique story or kind of a different twist to it. Um, you know, I like you with Rick Olson, I, I, I was very young and can't remember things prior to, uh, you know, the early 70s. So when I was researching the Janesville teams, um, 
you know, coming across the guys like Bob Luxinger, who I who I knew because he you know later became a high school coach. Um, but his playing days at Parker and Janesville and and um, how he helped them win the state championship in a very unlikely fashion in 1971. Um, that was unique to me. And, and Tim Paderick, uh, uh, it's funny, they, they had two first-team All-State guys from, from Janesville in, in 71. And uh, Paderick went to Craig and played at Wisconsin. And um, Luxinger went to Parker uh, and went to Wisconsin. Um, so, you know, those kind of little things. But um, one that that I can think of right off the top of my head. There was a, a guy um, um, from doing the Madison team. Uh, uh, his name was Paul Kobuson, and um, he uh, he was five foot eight. Um, so you know, not not a basketball uh, type of guy that you know basketball uh, college basketball programs are going to beat the door down to, to recruit. Um, but he was a good player. He graduated in 1964 uh, from Edgewood. He played on Dave Brown's teams there. Dave Brown later became an assistant coach with Wisconsin and then actually was the head coach uh, in, in, the, in the ABA, the Old American Basketball Association. I think it was with the Dallas Chaparrales. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting to, to find guys like him and Jay Eck, who also went to Edgewood and, and became a head coach at the University of Toledo. And Dick Versage, who uh, also went to Edgewood and was a head coach at Bradley University, uh, and then actually coached in the NBA, was a head coach in the NBA for a little while, uh, and was an ESPN color commentator. Those kind of things pop out. But going back to that story, uh, the five foot eight, nineteen sixty four graduate uh, Paul Kobuson from Edgewood. So he goes to Xavier University after high school uh, in Cincinnati. And uh, back in those days, of course, freshmen weren't eligible. That's just, it seems crazy to think of that today. Um, you know, when, when, uh, in a couple of years, again, guys will go right from high school to the NBA, but back then freshmen were not eligible. So you had to play on the freshman team. So the freshman team was usually a combination of guys on scholarship and then guys to fill out the roster that tried out for the team and made it. Well, Kobuson made the freshman team at Xavier and he did okay that year. He averaged, uh, I think I read something like uh, five points a game, you know, on the freshman team and the freshman teams would, would scrimmage the varsity. They would play junior college teams, maybe small college teams. So that was kind of what he did as a freshman sophomore year. Uh, I believe he went out, but uh, he didn't make it. So he served as the manager of the team. Uh, junior year comes around and they have a new coach and he tries out again and he makes the team <laughs> at five foot eight. Uh, so he went from being a manager uh, as a sophomore to being uh, on the team and playing uh, for Xavier uh, as, a, as a junior. Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting story. But, you know, there are, there are things like that um, all over when you when you research these teams. Um, and, uh, you know, finding out about guys in the 1950s that I don't know about really, uh, like Bob Powers from Madison, um, who played at East and, and won a state championship in 58. Richter was a junior on that team um, and and was player of the year in the league. And then he goes on to play at Wisconsin and do very well. Um, well, I'd never heard of him, but, you know, um, obviously that's because I wasn't around during that time. But to find out about guys like that, um, to me, is, is, is very interesting. There was, I, I'm trying to remember what team it was, but there was another, um, it wasn't Madison, but there was another one um, where a guy ended up playing on the team that traveled uh, with the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> and he was on the team that the Globetrotters would always beat. It wasn't the Generals, it was another team prior to the Generals. Um, I thought that was, that was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, things like that pop up. And um, a lot of guys, obviously, that, that did very well in high school later became coaches. Um, 
or like Dana McKenzie, you know, in Madison, um, Glenn Rickles, who uh, was a star at West and, and uh, was a head coach for many years at Baraboo. Um, and he played at Wisconsin as well. Uh, you know, guys like that, that, uh, you know, really enjoyed basketball and, you know, made a, made a career out of uh, becoming a teacher and coach and, uh, you know, stayed in the game like Luxinger for a very long time. Was there one team so far that was the toughest? Is it Madison? Because there's just so many more players. I think you mentioned 20, 26 players from Madison that earned first team All-State by the AP since 1957. Right. Yeah, that one was pretty tough. I mean, uh, I, it was hard for me to to, 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 to uh, say no to guys that made it all the way to the NBA. It's so rare. I mean, there's been three guys uh, in the history of, of Madison High School basketball that have played in the NBA. So I, I thought, well, you know, they've achieved something that no one else has achieved. So I immediately put, started with Matthews, uh, Vanderblue, and Reese Gaines um, because they, you know, they've they've played in the NBA. Now, Reese and Vander, uh, you know, didn't play a ton in the NBA. I think Reese played uh, about the equivalent of one year. I think he, he played over three years, but I think he played, you know, around 70 games, something like that. Uh, and Vander, uh, you know, is still playing, um, still trying to, to get back. Um, he's maybe played, uh, I'm just looking at it right now, he's played in 10 games. <laughs> so, um, but he's he's also played overseas and in the G League and so forth. Um, so you start with those three guys in Madison. So that, that you know, and of course, all three of them were first team All-State. Um, uh, you know, Wesley won a state championship. Vander won a state championship. Reese was at the state tournament as a senior, didn't win a state title, but had tremendous success uh, also uh, at Louisville. So, um, and then I thought, okay, well, who who else has been really, uh, who else achieved a ton? And immediately I went to Rick Olson. Um you know, it'd be pretty hard not to, to not put him on there, even though he only scored uh, uh, 1,123 points in high school. You know, I mean, today, by today's standards, that's that's not all that much. Today, that's, the barrier is more like 2,000. Um, but you have to remember, uh, that was before the three-point line and, and the number of games and so forth. Um, but when he went on to Wisconsin, he scored 1,736 points. <laughs> you know, and his teams were, were just okay. They weren't great, but... Uh, uh, I think the fact that he won a state championship in the manner in which he did, um, you know, averaging 27 points a game in the Big Eight as a senior and winning the state championship, I thought uh, that that certainly was warranted. And then, you know, with Maimon, I mean, his teams in four years went 62 and two in the Big Eight. He played in three state championship games and had a had a good college career at Tennessee. Um, he was probably the one guy on there that, you know, maybe he could make an argument that a guy like Gary Anderson or Bob Falk maybe could have been on there over Jerron. But um, uh, I, I went with Jerron because he, he, you know, his accomplishments were, were you know, beyond um, the guys that I just mentioned. So um, that one was pretty hard. But truthfully, all of them are, are you know, somewhat difficult, especially that first five. Um some of them, like I'm doing Sheboygan right now, some of them kind of uh, are, you know, fairly easy. I mean, um, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's one thing, you know, when you do things like this, as you know, Travis, with football, when you do stuff like this, it creates a lot of buzz and it creates a lot of interest and a lot of debate. You know, hey, you know, I think you underrated this guy or overrated that guy. And that's that's fair game. Um, but, uh, you know, try to do the best you can and and uh, see where see where that takes you. But uh, they're certainly not foolproof, but. You know, at least in my mind, with the research I've done and all the players that I've seen, this is kind of what I came up with. So, 
So what's left? You mentioned you're working on Sheboygan. You mentioned Milwaukee's going to be a huge project potentially. What What's <laughs> left for this all-time series? Well, uh, you know, a lot of people are writing me and saying, hey, when are you going to do Stevens Point or when are you going to do Marshfield or, you know, when are you going to do Fond du Lac or Manitowoc or whatever? Um, you know, as long as I, I have time, um, as long as we're kind of in a lockdown phase, I mean, I've had to cancel all our summer tournaments except one. Um, and of course, AAU really isn't going on. So, you know, trying to produce some some interesting content, um, you know, for WIS Sports and, and getting these things done, it's going to be a, a it's going to be very helpful for me going in the future. You know, just having these lists and so forth of point totals. Um, so, I, you know, certainly I would like to do more. Uh, Racine is going to be uh, Racine is going to be an interesting one uh, as well. There's been a ton of great players out of Racine. In fact. Um, I would say Racine, Madison, and Milwaukee are easily the top three in terms of producing talent. Um, and you could make a really strong case for Racine being as good as any of them. I mean, honestly, they they have had so many good players. Karan Butler, Jim McElvain, Jim Jones. I mean, there's three NBA guys right off the top of my head. Gary Cole, who played in the NBA. Uh, you know, there's just so many great players from, from Racine. Um, and St. Catharines has had 30 kids alone that have made All-State. <laughs> First, second, third, or fourth teams. That, that's easily the most of any high school in the state. Um, so, uh, you know, Racine, certainly, uh, Milwaukee, uh, Manitowoc, Fond du Lac, uh, Green Bay, another one I, I certainly would like to do. Uh, Lacrosse is another one that uh, is going to be, you know, pretty labor-intensive. A lot of really good players out of that area over the years. Um, you know, Superior would be one I would love to do. Uh, most people don't realize this, but Superior had a huge, very rich tradition in basketball um, through really uh, the 1970s. Um, and I don't mean to, to cast negative aspersions on them now. I mean, it's still very competitive. But um, the, not the great players that came out of Superior in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s is is amazing um, and of course they used to have three high schools um, so all three schools uh, they used to have central central and east were the two public schools and um, they they merged and they built a new school which is now superior high um, gosh i'm trying to think it was in the 60s maybe 65 or 66 somewhere around there so they had two publics and they went to one in the mid 60s and then cathedral high which probably had the best player to ever come out of superior at least certainly um, one of the top five, Dave Tucker, who was all Big Ten at Minnesota, was just inducted in the WBCA Hall of Fame. Cathedral, I think, closed in 69. So they went from three to one. And even in the 70s, they made the state tournament, you know, fairly regularly. But, uh, you know, the population of the city obviously has gone way down. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking, well, Superior would be very interesting from an old-timers perspective. But unfortunately, that's another one of those papers that's not on newspapers.com. And I don't know if I'm going to go all the way up to Superior and go to the library and, and um, <laughs> look at microfilm for, for three days. Um, so that one, you know, might have to, maybe won't happen. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think it is interesting to note, when you look at the Badgers rosters in the 50s and 40s and, and Minnesota's rosters in the same era, there were a lot of Superior guys that played at that level. Um, which today you're thinking, wow, really? That, that seems kind of unusual because since I've been doing the yearbook, they've maybe had one or two Division One players at the most. I can think of Joel Lindbergh, and I'm sure there's one or two others that I'm missing right, right now. But, um, yeah, back in back in uh, the day, Superior was a hotbed, and they would annually 
make the trip to Madison. Um, in fact, I think other than maybe Beloit, they might have the most state tournament appearances of all time. Uh, and Beloit's another city that has had tremendous uh, basketball um, players over the years. Um, Bernie Barkins era at, at Memorial and guys like Kyle Weaver uh, more recently. Um, so that's another city I would like to, you know, examine. So, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of really good uh, uh, cities out there that we still have to tackle. Um, and as long as I have the time, I'll, I'll continue to do it. So we've got uh, who knows, I guess, but uh, a couple months left in the summertime. Besides the all-time teams, what else are, are we looking at for content coming out during the summer period? When, as you said, there's not going to be much for the normal summer con, uh, you know, games and, and tournaments in AU that we're used to. Yeah, well, you know, that's a great question, but it appears to me, at least as we talk today on, on June 9th, that July is going to be a fairly busy month. Um, I know you had posted uh, about your, your sons playing uh, youth baseball now in Reedsburg, and, um, uh, you know, looking around and talking to people, uh, there's going to be a couple AAU events in Appleton uh, in July. Uh, you know, we're still hoping to put on our WBY tournament in Plymouth. Uh, in July. Uh, there's a tournament in Stoughton in July. Um, we'll see how it all washes out in terms of the COVID and, and how it works out. But um, I'm hopeful that at least in July, um, you know, there'll, there'll be some content from high school tournaments and AAU tournaments to, to watch kids and see how they're playing. And, um, you know, that the NCA will come out with their uh, their approved uh, open periods or live periods, I should say, for Division One programs to be out. Uh, the rumor is that it'll be the first weekend in August. Um, and then Labor Day weekend. Um, and, uh, you know, those are, it, it's a little cumbersome, of course, because both of those are after fall sports start at high schools. Um, but, you know, things are so different this year that uh, there's really no other options for them. And um, I think it's really important for Division One coaches to see kids live and, and, and to see how they're uh, playing. And, uh, you know, a lot of kids in our state right now are getting a lot of offers um, which is terrific, um, but you know they're 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 getting offers off off of watching tapes and so forth. Um, but there's nothing quite like watching them live and seeing you know how they how they play, how they interact with their teammates. You know, um, are they playing hard all the time? Are they playing on defense? Are they moving the ball? Are they setting screens? Are they getting on the floor for a loose ball? Or how are they rebounding? You know, all the things that go with it. Um, so uh, you know, that's I, I think that we're. We're kind of in the last, I hope, Travis, we're in the last phase of, of not nothing going on. And hopefully from a basketball perspective and for you uh, and for our site and for everybody, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get football and volleyball and soccer and, and tennis and golf, all the things that come in the fall at the schools. Hopefully all that will come back. Um, I sure I sure hope and pray that that's the case. But, you know, as far as content in the coming months, I would look for uh, if these events are going to happen, you know, I, I plan to be there. So, um, you know, cover it for Wisport, So, You mentioned um, kids getting offers right now off of film and, and not having visits and in-person evaluations and things like that. In football, that happens sometimes just before all of this where players would get offered, but they weren't really committable offers. They were more, hey, we want you to get interested in us and then we'll go from there. Does that happen in basketball where kids get offered, but it's not really a committable offer? It's more of a, hey, let's start, let's start dating <laughs> kind of an offer. <laughs> um, you know, generally speaking, I don't think that was necessarily the case in the past. Um, 
you know, usually, um, you know, as you're probably fully aware, you know, the, um, the offers would come, you know, kind of sporadically throughout the high school season. I mean, coaches, uh, college coaches are busy with their own teams, but they do go out and watch some high school games and when they can, um, and, and offers do come. I, I think of uh, uh, David Joplin when he had that unbelievable game. I think he had 36 or something against Sussex Hamilton last year. And uh, Patrick Ewing was in the was at the game because the next day or a, a day or two later they were playing Marquette in Milwaukee. So you know they got there a few days early and he went and watched Patrick Baldwin against Joplin and David got the offer. You know after watching him. So you get some of that. And then um, obviously in the spring with AAU and the open period, we used to have two open periods in, in April. A lot of kids would get offers um, following their performances in the open periods. Well, we didn't have that this year. So everything kind of got flipped upside down this year. Um, offers are still coming, but um, it, you know it is different. I think it is probably a little like football, where hey, we really like what we see, and you know, um, you know, they they extend an offer, um, but are all of them committable today? Um, you know, that's a great question. I, I I don't know the answer to that. I, I I guess I would say you know as a hunch. Probably not all of them, um, you know, maybe a, a young player that would, let's say, want to commit uh, and call someone up and say, hey, I'm ready to commit. Uh, maybe the school would say, well, you know, we'd rather get you, we want to get you on campus first um, or we want to see you live first, you know. So um, let, we plan on watching you in, in, in during the open period in, let's say, August. And then uh, we'd like to have you on campus, you know, shortly thereafter before you go back to school in September. And then we can talk about it that that would be my guess about how things uh, come about now uh for guys like patrick baldwin and tyrese hunter and david joplin and james graham and you know those guys at the very top of the class uh they they probably could commit today and and, and be i don't think anyone's going to turn down patrick baldwin today um but you know for the guys that um are are you know right on the cusp of that um you know, um, thinking of guys like Braden Podzinski, uh, Cade Meyer, Cade uh, um, Meyer, uh, you know, Kobe Johnson, Ben Now. I mean, you can go up and down the list of our top, uh, really a top 15 or so. Logan Landers, another one. Um, those guys, it might be a, hey, what, we want to watch you and maybe, you know, why don't you come out and take a visit? Um, I could be wrong, though. I certainly could be wrong on that. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not privy to the conversations that, that the, the young players have with with the college coaches other than that you know they announce that they get they have received an offer um but i think a little of it might be toward football what you were mentioning with football um but uh at that and that is a change for basketball because of covid before we let you go one bonus question uh one of the things i've been working on lately um for football content is rivalry uh games whether it's the the most played rivalries in the state, some rivalries that we lose out on this year because of the realignment, uh, things like that. So what are a couple of your favorite high school basketball rivalries right now? Yeah, well, the best one that I've ever covered in all my years of doing it was Sheboygan North and South back in the days when we played it and they played the games at the Armory. Um, there was nothing like it. I mean, one side was, was, was blue and gold and the other side was red and white. Um, and of course, that building was so uh, so awesome back in the day. I mean, that's where the Sheboygan Redskins played their uh, uh, you know professional games. And uh, of course, by today's standards, it's it's the stage is probably uh, six seven feet 
from the from the uh, out of bounds line. So I covered the games on the stage. That's where they put the media, and it was wall to wall people, and it was just it was just fantastic. I mean, there was nothing like it. Um, now I haven't been to a north south game since each uh, facility opened up their new um, their new gyms. You know, in the last fifteen years or so. But back in the day, um, I thought those were easily the best. Um, you know, other than that, I mean, it depends. It kind of goes on a year by year, but I think the East Lafollette uh, games these last couple of years have been really good in Madison. You know, the East, the, kind of the battle for the East side of town. Um, you know, Appleton East and Appleton West and, and Xavier and FEL used to be big games, but it's it's kind of not not as much anymore. You know, since North opened and um, you know things are the, the, the you have to have the kind of the perfect storm. And, um, you know, Tremper and Bradford used to be big in Kenosha, but now you got Indian Trail. So it just, I don't want to say it diluted it because, you know, I mean, you obviously needed to build the new schools in terms of population. But um, in terms of the intensity of the rivalry, I think it definitely diluted it. Um, you know, so uh, I'm trying to think of maybe some other ones. You know, Wausau East and West uh, is pretty good. I think Marshfield and Spash has always been a big rivalry. Um, on the basketball court, um, you know, Spash has had the better of it. Um, although I'll tell you what, Marshfield's really, really come on the last five, six years and uh, really done a really nice job of uh, establishing that program. I think back in the day up in Superior, whenever those three schools, Cathedral East and uh, uh, Central played, was big. Um, but, um, yeah, it's it's not quite – it's different than football, you know, because – Football, you play once a year, and it's, you know, a lot of times there's a trophy on the line or there's a, you know, some sort of, uh, like the Apple, when Xavier and FEL play, the, they have the, you know, the, the Apple trophy or whatever. Um, you know, so it's different. It's, it's, it's more intense. It's, it's, it's a bigger thing. Basketball, of course, you play uh, more games and you play each other twice. Um, and unless you have a city kind of like Sheboygan, where there's just two schools, two public schools, um, it, it, it gets kind of diluted. You know, East and West and Green Bay used to be a monster rivalry, same as East and West and Madison. Well, you know, not so much anymore. You know, there's new schools. There's the demographics have changed. High school athletics have, have changed where, you know, East and West aren't nearly as successful uh, in basketball as they once were, you know, back in the, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s uh, when they were really, really good. So, um, yeah, I, I, I always say that the Sheboygan one was the best one, though. Good stuff, as always, Mark. Uh, we're looking forward to the next, uh, next few all-time teams that are coming out. Uh, certainly, uh, again, a lot of discussion that has been generated from those, a lot of discussion that will continue to be generated as we look at uh, the history of high school basketball in some of the bigger cities in the state of Wisconsin. Mark, always great to have you on talking hoops, and uh, we, uh, we appreciate it, and uh, we'll chat down the road. Okay, thanks, Travis. Appreciate you having me on. Again, a great conversation with Mark. Looking back at the all-time teams that he's been working on over the last uh, several weeks and, and over a month now. That'll do it for this edition of the WSN Podcast. I'm Travis Wilson. When we do have live sports, we'll see you at a game.